to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, good people. Good Sunday morning. And wow, how about that announcement that we're going to gather next Sunday in the back parking lot and have one service at 10 o'clock. I'm so excited. It's been way too long uh, since we've been able to see one another and gather together. It's going to be so encouraging to worship together, to sing together, to celebrate, and uh, just to gather. I mean, we're meant to be with one another, and we want everybody to be safe. And so please practice all of the social distancing that you need and with your PPEs and, and everything, and let's honor one another and uh, be before we close that gap in any real you know, sense of closeness, let's be sure we understand one another and are welcomed into that space. And for those of us who may be a little more susceptible than others, let's honor that and love one another enough to, to you know, respect that. And so I can't wait. So we're going to finish up this series in First Peter today. We're going to be over in First Peter 5, 6 through 14, or 6 through 11, really. And uh, the fill-in has been posted on the Bible app and on the Church Central app and the version part when you go to look up your scripture. And uh, it's also on the Facebook Live and on my Pastor Tim page. And uh, you can fill in the gaps as we go and the blanks as we go. So I'm going to do it a little different today in that I'm going to mention parts of the scripture, and that is like the first fill-in will be like chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. So I'm going to read that portion and then do the fill-in and speak about it and kind of take apart these last three segments in the closing of our series. So would you pray with me? And uh, we'll jump into this. Lord, thank you so much for this Sunday. We know, Lord, in the midst of so many challenges, just like the letter that we've been looking at from Peter to these churches in Asia Minor, we know you're working in the midst of such pressure, stress, questions, heartache. Lord, you are still working. You're still doing your good work and your good people to this good world that you love. And so, Lord, today I ask that you open up our hearts to help us learn from your word, to be encouraged from your word. Holy Spirit, I pray there in the homes or wherever people are watching this right now that you would indeed make yourself known. Make your presence known. Let your peace come and overshadow the folks that are with us today. Lord, we need peace. We need assurance from you that you are with us. And so, Lord, would you come and do that in Jesus' name. And Lord... Before I stop the prayer, Jesus, I really need your help. Would you help me with my weakness and give me the gift of teaching, Lord, so that I can convey your word properly, Lord, and also so it can be applied in some way and we can take encouragement from it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're finishing out 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 14, 11, 14 in there. And we know from our previous weeks that these churches in Asia Minor were under a lot of pressure that as they had become Christians and were living for Jesus, that 
the people didn't understand it. The culture didn't understand it. They were misjudging things. And as their primary love and service went to Christ, it seemed to the people that they were not good citizens or they were betraying or they they had another God other and which they did other than Caesar. And so people didn't understand some of the early traditions of the church, communion and the gathering. And, and because most Christians during this period of time kind of kept to themselves. Um, and so, you know, they weren't understood readily. And in these churches, which is up in the area of mostly Turkey now, uh, present day Turkey, these churches up there had started suffering some outright persecution physically and certainly socially they've been ostracized and and this has happened within families and within the towns and cities of these churches and so as we made our way through that there's been a recurring theme hasn't there with Peter all through this and that is that God has not forsaken you even in the midst of the trials and troubles that you're in and that suffering has come but God is with you he is with you and that you will not suffer always. And so there's been that promise of which Peter really believed that Jesus would return at any moment and he would rescue all of us in the moment. And so he's preaching that and he's holding on to the hope of that, which we still do too, all of us. And in that, we reach this fifth chapter and uh, verses six through seven say this, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And your first fill in is this. How were they to respond in these closing remarks that Peter was trying to to conclude with? One of his Directions. one of his encouragements were submit themselves to God. Submit to God and uh, humble yourselves. Submit yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And humbling yourselves is literally meant making oneself low, kind of bowing down, uh, taking a humble stance uh, toward God and toward the situation. You know, Proverbs is a recurring theme, isn't it? In Jesus's life, uh, that the humble, that God honors the humble, that the proud, you know, he uh, will deal with. But in Proverbs 3.34, it says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. That's what's been quoted prior to us getting to the verses today. Matthew 18, 4, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position, that's humility, of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, a child, you know, a child doesn't, I mean, he's happy, he's fun, he's enjoying life, but a child knows they're not an adult. They are humble in that stance. And so we know we are not God. And there's a, there is kind of a posture of humility that we can take. And this especially, I think, is true when trouble comes and that we don't know everything. We don't know uh, what the end is going to be like, but he does know. And so we submit ourselves 
you know, to God. We humble ourselves before him. Luke 14, 11, Jesus said, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And, and I think it's telling that Peter says, humble yourselves. You know, it's a lot better if we humble ourselves than having ourselves humbled, <laughs> right? And so God says, you know, or Peter t- encourages us to humble ourselves. And, you know, God's purposes are never to humiliate people, uh, embarrass them, but that there is a sense of coming low before him and that he might exalt us in the proper time and with Christ. And so we're told to humble ourselves, to submit ourselves to God. And he says, under God's mighty hand. Well, that's a phrase that we've heard before, right? All the way back to Exodus and God's mighty hand, that God has control of things and that when his mighty hand comes and moves, he will change things. And um, in due time, right? In due time, in his time. We don't know uh, what the timing is going to be like, but in his time, he will do that. And in the midst of submitting ourselves to God, humbling ourselves to God under his mighty hand, recognizing his power, that he knows what's going on and that he has it all under control, then we cast all our anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for us. Because he cares for us. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares. That's a powerful picture, that casting all your anxiety on him uh, in the Greek. And that is that, uh, remember the story in Luke 19 where the disciples got the donkey for Jesus to enter Jerusalem and they threw their cloaks on the donkey's back and then Jesus sat on those cloaks. Well, that's the picture of cast all your anxiety on him. It's us throwing our anxiety like those cloaks were thrown over that donkey's back onto Jesus. And what I love to think about in all this is that Jesus then rules and reigns and sits in the midst of that. He is over our anxiety. He has control over things. And so he will rule and reign as he enters our life, as we cast our anxiety, our worries on him. I love that picture. So when you think about throwing your worries and your anxieties on Jesus, think of that, that lowly animal of burden, that donkey and that as they threw their cloaks, we throw our anxieties on. And Jesus comes and he sits and he rules and he reigns even in the midst of our anxiety. Wow. And, you know, I just want to say, even right now, those of us who are so, maybe we're really filled with an anxiety. Can we do this right now? Like, right now, can you just take your anxiety in your hands and can you... Cast them upon Christ. Lord, we take the anxiety of this moment, of this virus, of all the trouble that we have around us. We take it, Lord, and we cast it upon you as you carry it and you rule and reign in it, Lord. We cast our anxieties, our worries on you because you do care about us, Lord. You care about us. So 
First one, submit to God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then verses 8 and 9 of 1 Peter 5 says, Be alert and sober mind, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Your second fill-in is stand firm in faith. Stand firm in the faith, in the faith you have in Christ. Be alert and be sober. Don't be lulled to sleep. That alert word for us and what he's, Peter is telling uh, those brothers and sisters in Asia Minor is it's a military term and context of a soldier who is on watch and who will not go to sleep. He's going to stay mentally alert. He's not going to be lulled to sleep, pulled away because he ha- he's on watch. I mean, if he was to fall asleep, the enemy could rush in and devour. And so Peter tells them, and I think it says to us too, don't be lulled asleep. Don't let lethargy, don't let mental laziness and spiritual laziness suddenly get your life in the midst of all that's going on. No, be alert and sober-minded. That is keenly aware of what is going on. Why? Because the devil, the devil is around and he's like a roaring lion. He's looking to devour, to eat up God's people. Uh, You know, you have an enemy. I mean, you personally have an enemy. The church, our church and churches that love Jesus have an enemy. That's the devil. And your enemy, when uh, it says that, um, your enemy, the devil, prowls. When Peter says that around, your enemy, that's that's really the word for adversary. It's it's a law term. It's, it's like you're going into court and you have someone who's accusing you. And we know that the devil is a liar, right? And he accuses the church. He accuses us day and night. He accuses you sometimes. The devil is the, in the Hebrew, the word is slanderer. He'll lie. He'll exaggerate. He'll just tell you things about you. He'll tell other people if they entertain it, things that aren't true about themselves or about you or about Jesus. He's a slanderer, a liar. And we have an enemy and the church has an enemy and his name is Jesus. You know, God is not the only one interested in you. The devil is interested in you. He's interested in the church. He's interested in subverting every bit of the good work of the kingdom of God in our lives personally and corporately. And we cannot fall asleep, but we have to be alert. And in times of stress and in times of of anguish and carrying so much, it's easy to get sidetracked. But we have to be alert. We have to be sober-minded. You know, James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. That's not like sitting back and going, Well, there's no such thing as a devil. 
No, resist, push back on him. Have an offense. Push back on him. Do not let him lull you to sleep. Do not fall asleep. Stay keenly aware of what he's doing. And and James said, he will flee from you. He'll leave. I think one of the most dangerous things we can do is not even think, you know, that there is another entity out to subvert all the good work of God in our lives. And like I said, even in our time now with the sickness and all of this going on in society and all, it's easy to get sidetracked. We must be alert, sober-minded. Ephesians 6, 11 through 12 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Brothers and sisters, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in this heavenly realm, in the heavenly realms. You know what? There is an enemy. There is a spiritual entity, an enemy behind prejudice, behind bias, behind racism, behind sickness. And we are to stand and keep our minds clear and our spirit acutely aware that we have an enemy that's out to rob, kill, steal, and destroy. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. He says earlier that Man, what a description, huh? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Devour. Now, that is a creepy term. (laughs) And it's creepy in the Greek as well because it means uh, it's a very graphic picture of a beast swallowing its prey in one gulp, (laughs) taking us down. Very graphic so that he could get their attention. The churches that he loved and he cared for, he could get their attention. You know, the devil's not neutral. It's not like, well, if I leave him alone, he's going to leave me alone. No, he's not going to leave you alone. He's not. We need to be aware, alert, sober-minded that we have an enemy. And uh, we need to resist him and to stand firm in the faith. And that is that Jesus is Lord. Remember, Jesus took on the devil, right? The devil will misquote scripture. He'll misquote it to you. He'll misquote it to me. Well, how did Jesus handle that? He put scripture in the right context. He didn't let him take it out of context and misuse it and abuse it. But he used it for bread and he used it for life in him at that moment. So resist him. Stand firm like any good soldier. You stand firm in the faith. And you don't fear and you don't run. You don't flee. You resist. And um, you stand firm in the faith, faith. And that is like a foundation. You build that foundation and you stay firm. And he tells them the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. You know, that's... Wow. Right now, our entire world is going through these two huge issues, right? The whole world is. And we're all in this. And our brothers and sisters throughout the world are going through the same thing. And it's not that misery loves company, no, but it's that the family of God, all the churches are in this as well. And we all stand firm, praying for one another, supporting one another. And so we have an enemy, man. Peter says, don't take it for granted. 
And your last feeling is this, and the verses are 10 through 11. And the grace of all God, like if, if you do all this, if you do everything that was said, and he tags it, I got that backwards, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, it's not going to last forever, <clears throat> will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast to him, be the power forever and ever. Amen. It's another doxology, isn't it? We just read read it just a few verses earlier as well. And your last filling is, seek the God of all grace. Seek the God of all grace. God had not forgotten them. And though it can feel like that at times, they're suffering because of their faith. That's the reason they're suffering, because they have a faith in Christ, because they love Jesus. And God is taking note of it. And he will restore them. That is, put them in order, establish them. Through their sufferings, God will put them on display and will put their character on display to the world that these are my people. Wow. When you come out of this, your character is going to come out of it even stronger and better. And people will see that you are my people. They are weak. We are weak. But he will make them strong, firm, steadfast. They may be shaky, but God will firm up their faith. You know, God gives us that faith, doesn't he? I mean, it's not ours like to build up. It's like God gives us this treasure. He drops it into our heart to believe. That faith to believe that Christ is who he said he was and is. That's a supernatural, beautiful, amazing thing. Now, I can't do a list of things and go, let me add all of this up, and and this is going to prove that Jesus is real. I think that's good. I think that's, I love doing that. But you know what? What really changes us is when the Spirit of God comes to your life and something amazing grabs your heart and reveals His love to you. Like I said, the first two or three hundred years, there was no advantage to being a Christian. There was no advantage to being a part of the Christian church. Much to the contrary, yet the church grew and grew and grew. Why? Because there is something real about this trust and faith that we put in Christ. He loves you. He cares for you, whatever you're going through right now. He has not abandoned you. If you've been lied to by the devil, you know, he'll tell you God doesn't love you. He'll tell you <laughs> you have nothing to offer. Or he may tell you you're the, the most amazing, unbelievable genius of a person in the world. Now, that's another problem too, right? But whatever lies he tells you, Jesus has the truth for you. That he loves you. He came and he gave his life for you. He came out of that grave to show that he is the Lord of all. He is the Lord over death. He he is the King of kings. There is nothing in subjection. He's in subjection to nothing and no one on this earth. He is the Lord. He is the King. To me, the resurrection is like a big exclamation point at the end of his statement that I am Lord. And it's the power of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit that 
raised that body out of the grave, glorified, that comes to us and says to our hearts, you can trust, you can believe in this Savior. You can receive Him. I would love for you to do that right now, for you to be able to say and to pray, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give you my life. I want to begin this walk with you. I ask for you to enter my life. Lead me and teach me like you did Peter, who now is teaching other churches how to trust you in tough times. Lord, move in my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Empower me with your presence. Let me join your family and join your purpose on this earth. I hope you pray that today. I hope you say yes to Jesus today. And if you did, I want you to let me know. I want you to text COMMIT, C-O-M-M-I-T, to 474747. COMMIT to 474747. It won't cost you anything. Just lets me know that you prayed today. And look, folks, next Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to be outside together. And hey, I will put the message up like this also for those of you who are not in Myrtle Beach and around but follow us. I'll put a message like this up as well because we don't know how well the recording and the live is going to go outside. So you will get the message one way or the other, and I hope you'll be able to join us live next Sunday, 10 o'clock, Seacoast Vineyard Church, 27th Avenue North in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Look, thank you for being here. Love you. Let us know how to pray for you. God bless. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.